afternoon of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Let's uh, refocus, see where we are again in Revelation. So we said that uh, chapter 1 was the vision on earth, and uh, chapters 2 and 3 were uh, the vision about the seven churches. The second vision was in, you know, now occurred in heaven, when St. John after heaven, that's the second vision, we're there right now, and we talked about the sealed book in chapter 5, and now we talked about the seven seals, we talked about the first, how many seals? Six. We've covered the first six seals, and now we're going to talk about the seventh seal, and we're going to also start seeing the seven trumpets when it comes to chapter 8. Alright, so again, look at it, can be seen as we're telling the same events in different ways, or we are telling events are going to happen first, which is like the seven churches or the seven seas, and then we focus on the last hour or the last couple of hours, or sorry, last, last, couple, last few days, last few years uh, of the word with the trumpets and the bowls and so on. Okay, These are the seven seals. And every time we're going to get closer, we're going to add more slides to capture where we are and recapture what we learned so far. The first seal was Christ, uh, the white horseman, Christ the uh, white horseman going out to conquer, conquering and to conquer. And we said that this is the victory that he accomplished on the cross and he daily accomplishes through each one of us. The three other seals that were grouped together as the attempt of the devil to destroy the church and try to overcome the church of God. But we saw in each one of those seals, they were only given limited authority and not full authority. The fifth seal we talked about was the church under the altar. And we saw that this is uh, the temporary place for those who uh, died for the sake of Christ. And we'll talk about whether it's only martyrdom or not. The sixth seal, which ended chapter 6, was talking about the tribulation at the end times. And now we're going to be talking about the seventh seal, and we're going to see the seven trumpets. If we'd like to look at the first four seals, we can look at them in different ways. One way to look at them, and they're all happening in parallel, one way to look at them is, for example, the white horseman, that's Christ. He, over, he was victorious on the cross and he will continue to be victorious until the end. And then each of the other horsemen, they will sort of, you know, will peak at certain times, but they will continue to attack the church in that way. So for example, persecution peaked in the first 300 centuries, I'm sorry, three, first three centuries, first 300 years where there was really intense persecution and hundreds of millions of people died for the sake of Christ. Maybe that subsided a little bit. The church is still being persecuted on a daily basis. We still see a lot of martyrs every day. Uh, that doesn't stop. It doesn't mean that this horseman put his sword in and he you know, stopped attacking the church. He's still attacking it. But right now, there's a different one who's taking a role and we talked about the black horsemen and now the pale horsemen that represents heresies and so on. Okay, so that's chapter 6. 
So let's go with chapter 7 and talk about that. Do we have any volunteers to read? After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four wings of the earth, and the wings of the earth, on the sea, or, any, uh, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God from their foreheads. Okay, let's... let's um, Alright, so the first three verses. As we remember, as I said, last chapter, or chapter 6, we ended the scene on the Great Tribulation. If you go back quickly and look at what happened in chapter 6, the last few verses in chapter 6, you know, hard times, you know, the stars of heaven, you know, fall on earth and heaven departed like a scroll and everybody's, you know, crying for the mountains to cover them and fall over them and so on. So it's a very tough scene. Um, So what the Lord is, you know, is preparing us for is that He's telling us, Again, despite everything that appeared in the last chapter and every horseman that there's full control, God wants to assure us again that He is the one in control and His children are protected. So before we proceed and see what's going to happen with the seventh seal and the seven trumpets and more horror things are going to happen and difficult things are going to come on earth, God is wants to assure us that don't worry, you are protected, you are my children, and you are sealed, and nothing is going to happen to you. So, there's a. we saw the same thing happen with the fifth seal. Remember, we the first seal, the... the okay, the, when we saw in chapter 4, the question was what we mean by seal. So, when we saw in chapter 4, we saw a book... Uh, scroll, and this scroll was sealed by seven seals. All right, it's like a stamp, you know. Uh, they were like Shamal Ahmad from us when they seal something and put a stamp on it, so nobody opens it. And if the seal is broken, yes. All right. So that, but that was, you know, a scroll. Uh, we don't know what the scroll is, and there's some different, you know, uh, hypotheses about what the scroll can be. Uh, some people said it's uh, the scroll of life, the name of the people who will enter to heaven. Some people said this is God's plan for salvation. Some people said this is the Bible. And we went through that in detail when we covered, you know, chapter 4. So, Christ started opening the seals one at a time. And that shows that He's the one who's in control. He, by, it's by His will, by His allowance that the devil takes steps. Same thing what happened with Job. So when Job was being tried, it wasn't a random act. It wasn't violating the will of God. God allowed that and with certain limits. So even what's happening today in our world today, we may think, that, so where is God? So why is this happening? God knows what's happening. God accepts and lets these things happen for a purpose so that we may repent and we may complete our you know, trials here on earth and we get crowned in heaven and for different purposes. And we'll see some of these while we go through. So, again, in, you know, what we saw in 
in the previous chapters that the fifth seal, again, we saw hard times, tribulations, you know, the red horsemen, the, you know, black horsemen, and the pale horsemen, and the famine, and given authority to kill, you know, a fourth of the people on earth, and horrible things. And then we had a pose, and we saw the saints who are under the altar and in heaven, and they were given white robes to dress. And then we saw the sixth seal. Horrible things are going to happen. And now we see another scene to comfort us that God is in full control. He's the one who's telling the, the nature, wait, no you know, uh, winds, no storms to affect my children until I seal everyone from my children and put the stamp on them. Okay. So, some fathers look at this, these, you know, verses, uh, and that's these things. I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, so that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Uh, they say that the when God created, you know, us at the beginning, He created us to rule on on nature, and He He gave us, the, you know. The authority over the animals, over over everything. But when we disobeyed, and the earth was cursed. If you notice, when God cursed, He did not curse Adam and Eve because they were on His image, and He was going to be one of their descendants. So He didn't curse them, but He cursed the earth. So when the earth became cursed, now we see all these violent storms. We see all these volcanoes, all these hurricanes, all these earthquakes that kill hundreds of thousands of people so and it's out of God's mercy that he has angels holding that that's one interpretation another interpretation is that the the four winds are basically the four I'm sorry the winds are the the devil is represented also by the ruler uh, of the wind and we'll come to this verse uh, in a little bit that's in Ephesians 2.2. 2. Go to Ephesians. Two, 2 And uh, Ephesians 2.1. And he has made you alive. You were once dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. So that's why the fathers say that the devil, when he was you know, cast you know, down from heaven, he, he's ruling now in the air. And again, that's a meditation for Saint Athanasius is saying that when Christ was crucified, he deliberately chose, chose this type of death because he would be hanging on the cross and he would be crucified in the air to face the devil in his, you know, uh, kingdom, in where he rules. Okay. All right. So we'll go back to this. Quick question: Why are the four horsemen of the apocalypse now being called angels? So what does the, the what is the original rank of the devil? He's an angel. 
he was a fallen angel. Okay. So, okay, oh, it's, it's okay. We, we, it's please, you know, be free to ask any questions, you know, so we can share together. A lot of times things escape us, and you know, we complement each other in the discussion here. So these, if I missed a couple of weeks. That's okay. These angels are Satan's angels? No, Christ's? no. In chapter 6, in chapter 6, if we go back to the big picture and look at those horsemen, those horsemen, the first horseman was Christ, and then the second three were basically the devil or, you know, or Satan you know, trying to attack the church. In this chapter 7, these horsemen, these angels are angels sent from God to control the situation, whether it's to control the actual winds of the earth, or whether it's to control the devil. These are angels sent from God. And if you remember the story of Daniel, right? we're, we're covering Daniel with the high school at the same time, so it's nice to relate both of them. In the story of Daniel, when Gabriel was coming to deliver the message to Daniel, what did he tell him? I was halted by the, de- by the devil or by the prince of Persia for 21 days until Michael came to let me through. So the devil can you know, control areas, but also God can send his angels to prevent his authority and to limit his authority and to control him. So there's an actual war going on. Right? Not with swords and, you know, laser beams and all these kind of, you know, Star Wars stuff, but it's an actual spiritual war going on around us continuously. When was the earth given as the kingdom of the devil? It's not the kingdom. Of, well, the, the, he rules on it. And actually Christ said, and, and actually Christ said, you know, th- this is not my kingdom. This is, you know, uh, basically the kingdom of the devil. When, I, we don't know. Maybe after he fall, maybe because of the sin. After the sin, when sin ruled on earth, he became the ruler, you know, by nature. And the issue is, it's not important who who's ruler on earth. It's important who's ruler on me. Because God rules above that. And the issue is, who's going to rule me? I will let the devil be my king and give me the little stuff that you know, he promised. Or I will let Christ be my ruler so it doesn't make a difference who else is, you know, Above me. You know, before the fall, it was like we did not live on earth. Before Adam and Eve fell, they lived in eternity. After they fell, that's when they had to live on earth. But they lived in paradise, exposed to the devil. I, I disagree with that a little bit, because we're told that there's actual location of paradise, which is in in Iraq today, the Garden of of Eden. So when God created Adam and Eve, He created them, created them, and you know He put them here on Earth. They were created on Earth. Not in that's eternity. This is you know relative term. I mean, they were created to live forever. Right. So that's that's correct expression. Created to live forever, but they were here on Earth. But if they ate of the fruit of the 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 second tree, the the tree of life. Yeah. That's when they would be eternal or immortal or living forever. They were we don't mortal know. beings. Well, no, but they were mortal beings in paradise. Until they ate of the tree where he gave them. Yeah, they were mortal until until the point where they ate. I, you know I can't saying? say that. So it, they weren't 
from what I understood, they had the capability for mortality or immortality yeah. depending on whether they followed commands or not. Yeah, so you can't say they were. It's when they ate, they became. Yeah, we, there are certain things that are not made clear to us. So we should not, you know. That's why one of the explanations of them living too long back at the time is because they just came out of eternity. Mm-hmm. Again, no, it's not eternity. No, a better explanation was so Abraham can watch over all the people for a longer period of time or to make sure everyone, like, no, Adam. Person, Adam, not Abraham. No, I mean, you know, the first few generations lived, you know, th- you know, hundreds of years. To take care of everybody for a long time. Um, like also to pass down the word. Yeah, that, that's it, to pass down that's the word. It was done for the passing down of the word. Yeah, that's it. I agree. Confirm Sahha because, again, that was God's, this is was God's intention, that we would live, you know, uh, without... Sickness without illness, without any of these, you know, problems, and he—that's why he created us and put us in, in paradise, right. Right? but not in eternity. You know, the word sometimes say the word eternity we mean heaven, but we were not, you know, created in heaven. We were created here on earth. But like you said, you were created to live forever. That's that's most likely. Right. We see here that God is. You know, did not enter. Did not exist. Did not enter. Yeah. So sometimes the theological expressions we need to be careful about. And physical death death followed. Physical death followed. And eternal spiritual death, for sure, yes. Spiritual as in your spirits, like not dead, but in hell. Spiritual death means that you separated from God. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Right. Yeah. All right, let, let's let's go back. Let's leave Genesis. You guys are supposed to cover. I've covered Genesis a year ago, so let's go back to Revelation. Um, let's you know let's let's keep the discussions going on. Again. So the winds, if the winds, the source of the winds is, you know, the devil and so on. So when the winds blow, it's like the tribulations. It's like, you know, the devil giving up ideas because um, uh, okay. If we go back to again to Ephesians four fourteen. So that we no longer may be infants tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So St. Paul here says that the wind of, you know, the devil's ideas are like winds of doctrine. So even heresies and so on are represented by winds. So when we talk about the four winds of the corners, some of the fathers, I'm sorry, the winds from the four corners, some of the fathers looked at that and said that these are the different ideas, different heresies coming in and attacking us from different directions. You find heresies, you know, throwing you all the way to the left, there's no God. Other heresies telling you, no, no, it's extreme, you know, right, and, you know, drive you crazy in, in, in other directions, and being, you know, literal and being, you know, doing anything in, you know, in a very difficult way, and anyway, 
you're going to be confused if you try to follow all these doctrines of the earth. But if our church, which is the Orthodox Church, which is is not changed by the winds, it's not changed by the whims of the people, it's not changed by the directions of, you know, what is the current society selling us today? Should Abuna, you know, 20 years be short or long or, you know, any of these things? We don't change our tradition, we don't change our dogma, which is more important. We don't change the dogma for any reason, because this is what we have received from the, the apostles and their descendants, and that's what we're keeping. So we're not changing by any winds. But if that's, if these winds represents, I, you know, uh, heresies, if these things represents uh, tribulations and so on, why does God allow it? Why is God allowing all this? We go back and remember how was the you know the temple was built, because the sequence of these events here. First, we talk about the winds of the earth and controlling them, and then we talk about sealing God's people, and then we're going to see the image of God's people in heaven. So the sequence is very important, and if we go and try to remember how the Altar, I'm sorry, how the temple in the Old Testament was built. We'll go back to 1 King 6 7. We'll find that, and when it was being built, the house was built of stone made ready beforehand, and there was not heard in the house a hammer or an axe or any iron tool while it was being built. So what does that mean? You used to go to the mountains, carve the stones exactly as it, as it is. They did their measurements, did the calculations, did everything. They were very good engineers. They cut the stones to measurement, and they came in and they put it together. Right? So that's like us. We are the house of God. We are the temple of God. Right? We go through the tribulations here. We are chiseled here. We are shaped here, to fit perfectly in the house of God in heaven. Here, we can hear the sounds of hammer, sound of axe, we can hear, you know, the crying, the weeping, the suffering, the diseases, the, you know, the death, and we hear all these things. In heaven, none of these. And we're going to see some of the most wonderful verses about heaven, about the reward we'll get at heaven in chapter 7. So, where the temple is being put together, no chisel, no axe, no sound of tools. Where the t- stones are being done, being put together, being carved, being cut, you hear all sort of, you know, tools. So all the tribulations, all the suffering we go through, this is just to shape us, put us in the right size so we can fit perfectly in, in heaven. And actually St. Peter, if you go back to Peter 2.5, You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So even St. Peter 2.5 tells us that we are stones of the temple of God. So that all puts together perfectly. No, in heaven we're already shaped. We're not going to go to heaven until we are in the right form and the right size, right dimensions. So all the shaping happens here. So usually 
Yes. Oh, yes. God doesn't allow any tribulation for us unless there is something for us to learn from, to benefit from, to grow spiritually from. It's like, you know, you're going on stairs. Right? Or, you know, it's more like hill, leveled, hill, leveled, you know, so on. So you climb, you know, you're struggling, and then you go level a little bit. So God's allow you tribulations, you suffer from it, but then you're growing spiritually. And then you, it lets you go peacefully, the tribulations for a while, and then the next one comes. So you should be prepared. Right? That every time there's tribulations, now what I'm going to learn, what, how I'm going to learn, what I'm going to learn, how I'm going to grow. It's not that, why did they do wrong? Why is God, you know, slapping me on the back, you know, and, you know, hitting me and, and all this. By the way, just as a trivia, does anybody know the story that uh, of the the, the stone that was rejected by the builders. Do you guys know? It fits, matches this particular verse here and matches one of the psalms we read in. Uh, yes, and one became the chief cornerstone. Do you guys know the story? Everybody knows it? Okay. So basically, they were cutting all the stones according to measure. And they're putting them, you know, at a time. Except one stone that did not find where it fits. And they kept it all the way to the end. And then at the end it turned out to be it's the one stone that joins, you know, everything together. And that stone represents Christ. This is a real stone in the temple? Yes. The one stone that was rejected by all became the cornerstone, right? Yeah, chief cornerstone which upon which everything, you know, okay. In Psalm one seventeen, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Actually, the capstone is not The capstone is that when say when you build an ark together, and you put the you know the stones together, there's, there has to be the capstone that sort of holds all the you know stones together. That one, nobody knew what that one was except when the time came to fit it in. That's the same. That was a prophecy about Christ as well. All right. So we talked about the winds of the air. And completes the whole picture. And the end of the project. Yes. Exactly. Right. Okay. So the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, or any tree. And again, the fathers see these as different level of people or different type of people on earth. The earth, we all know the parable of the sower, right? So the earth can represent to any faithful person. Any of us can, you know, is this different type of earth. Whether it's a good soil or a bad soil depends on our attitude. So that represents the believers in general. The sea, those who are still in turbulence, those who don't know what they are. Because always the sea, you go to the sea, if you drink the water of the sea, you're always thirsty. You're not satisfied, you, you know, you cannot sustain life in the sea. Right? It doesn't give you fresh water, there's no vegetables, there's no fruits, you know, nothing. It's just, cannot live there. Nor any tree, the tree, these are the faithful people, and they bring fruits, so they are advanced spiritually. So God is, in His kindness, He doesn't allow any wind to blow on anyone, except He gives an opportunity to everyone to receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. 
So nobody would say that I did not get a chance or there was not an opportunity for me. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Do not hurt the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Who is that angel ascending from the east? Most likely it's Christ. We find a lot of stories in the Old Testament. It starts by saying the angel of the Lord appeared. And if you study the story carefully, it ends up to be Christ. Can somebody give me an example? Example of the Old Testament of stories started by saying the angel of the Lord appeared and then ends up to be Christ. Well, all the prophecies of Good. Okay. So all the prophets, prophecies of Zechariah. But I want to. I want stories that. No. But we, nobody talked. Nobody said anything. We didn't, you know, this, it's the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Gideon. When Gideon, when God appeared to Gideon, says the angel of the Lord. How would you know that this is Christ? When Gideon offered him a sacrifice, he accepted the sacrifice. We're going to see here that when angels, you know, for example, St. John tries to bow to angels, or Daniel tries to bow to angels, the angels tell them, look, we are like you. Don't bow to us. So the only person who accepted worship, accepted sacrifices, is God himself. So that's why we say that God is the one who appeared, for example, to Gideon. God is the one who appeared to uh, Manu, which is, you know, Samson's father. Same thing happened. Is that, you know, they offered him a sacrifice and he accepted it. So that's Christ. So that's how we know that this is God. And why do we call him angel? Why don't we just call him God? Why do we call him angel? Because he's bringing us God, you know, God's message. An angel means a messenger, somebody who brings a message. So Christ is telling us about his love to us, about the Father's love to us, about the Father's relationship to us. So he, he is allowing himself to be called an angel, though he is God himself. And he's coming from the east, that's why we always face the east. I was talking to one of the monks once, and he was telling me that the monks, the way they sleep, they have to sleep their head in the west and their feet in the east. Why is that? So when Christ comes, they're ready, ready to get up and meet him from the east. Don't change your bedroom. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. The sun. <laughs> and saying, "Do not hurt the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their in their foreheads." Again, this is a sign of God's love and grace. He does not allow tribulations to happen until he feels that people are ready for it. So, no tribulation is bigger than what you can tolerate. The devil is always, is always, always, always going to come and tell you, this is too much for you. God is, you know, is not uh, kind to you. Look, you know, you've been trying this for so long and he still didn't allow the tribulations to be lifted from you. He doesn't love you. You know, all these things. But it's only 
in the proper time that the winds are going to be let go to harm the earth. Now the fun stuff. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, having been sealed out of every tribe of the sons of Israel. Let's read them quickly. Out of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 had been sealed. Out of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 had been sealed. Out of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 had been sealed. Out of the tribe of Asher, out of the tribe of Naphtali, Manasseh, out of the tribe of Simeon, out of the tribe of Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. So people say these tribes, this is the actual number of people who will go to heaven, 144,000. Okay. And this is the actual number of people who are going to go to every tribe. Let's, let's look at the, num- the names. Uh, we will we'll go through that. There's actually a lot of differences between these tribes and the actual order of tribes in the Old Testament, how they were born. And the fathers see this as a symbolic numbers for different reasons. Who are the 144,000? Again, they're God's people. If we go to verse 7, 9, okay, it says, After these things I looked, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, out of all nations, Kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. How can they say, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to seal everyone. I'm going to seal 144,000 people. And once they sealed, it turned out to be that no one could number. Unless the 144,000 was just a symbolic number. And the actual number who will go to heaven is no one can count. Okay. So what does 144,000 mean? If we look at 144, it's 12 times 12 times 1,000. 12 is derived out of 3 times 4. Right? Basic <coughs> mathematics. The, which, the 3 represents the Trinity. The 4 represents people from all directions of the world, or the, all the, the four corners of the world. So 12 is God's people. That's why you find 12 tribes. That's why you find 12 disciples that went and preached the word of God to the whole nations. So the number 12 always, always represents God's people. Okay? A thousand represents the heavenly. What's the number of angels? Thousand times ten thousand, thousands times thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. So thousands, are, you know, multiples of thousands are represents the heavenly. So 144,000, 12 for the Old Testament, 12 for the New Testament, and thousand for the heaven. That's 144,000. And not like what Jehovah's Witnesses are saying that these are yeah. only 144,000 from Jehovah's Witness. Okay? Alright. Like Jehovah's Witness? Is that good? Should be. They're not allowed to enter Egypt, but they are spreading like wildfire in Egypt. Because again, we are ignorant. When somebody comes and tells me something about my Bible, which I have never read, and they show me a 
what seems to be like, you know, an official version of the Bible, I would believe them. And I have no idea what my faith. And they're persistent. And they're known. Anyway. That's a different story. Which, which are you, are you saying we're cops were not nice, right? Well, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. Let's look at the list of the tribes. If you go back to the list of the tribes, 12 tribes, each verse has three tribes, four verses cover the 12 tribes. There are differences as, you know, you notice. First, Judah is not the firstborn. Actually, it's, you know, uh, Raubin who's the firstborn, right? Dan is not mentioned. Dan means judge because in heaven there's no judgment. And also some of the fathers think is that um, when Jacob was giving his blessings, he said that Dan is a serpent, you know, lying on the road. So they, they think that the Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. This is, you know, again, this is speculation because right now no one from the Jewish people can know which tribe they come from. Why is that? Because first, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, right? Judah and Benjamin and Levi. And there are other ten tribes of Israel. The other ten tribes of Israel were captured, conquered, destroyed. Wait, you said Judah, Benjamin, and Levi? Yes. Well, Levi wasn't really a tribe. They were just... Levi was not a tribe. Levi was... This is some of the issues. Levi is not counted as a tribe. Okay. Let's pause here a little bit and go back and rewind. Jacob had ten sons, I'm sorry, twelve sons and daughters, Dina and so on. The twelve sons, Joseph, Benjamin, you know, and, and everybody else. Joseph was, you know, the one before last, he was number eleven. But God blessed him. So Joseph, instead of him getting the, the share of one tribe, no. If you hear the tribes, the list of the tribes, there's no Joseph, but you hear his children. He had both children you know, replacing him, Ephraim and Manasseh. So you hear about the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, but you never hear about the tribe of Joseph. Okay? They replaced Joseph and then. No. We're not talking about this list right now. We're talking about the original list. Okay? Twelve tribes. When you read Exodus, you know, if you're done with, you know, Genesis 29 and, and past that, and then you read the Exodus... You don't hear a mention of, you know, the tribe of Joseph. And you do hear the mention of tribe of them. So, if we go quickly, the tribes were Raubin, uh, Simeon, Levi, Judah, uh, Fin five. Do I have five here? No, uh, it's not it. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, Asher, Naphtali, Issachar, uh, uh, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. Okay, this is chapter twenty-nine and thirty. Right? These were the tribes. There's no Joseph. I'm sorry, you know, no Joseph. I said Manasseh and uh, Benjamin. Manasseh and uh, De- no. No, then Manasseh and Ephraim were there instead of Joseph. So that makes sense. So what happened to Levi? God took away Joseph and Levi, put Manasseh and um, Ephraim, 
Levi became his. So they don't count with the ten, with the twelve. They're the priests and they're God, dedicated for God. So they don't count with the twelve. So in reality, there were thirteen. The twelve tribes and Levi. When the kingdom was split, Benjamin and Judah remained as the main tribe with the temple. And of course, Levi stayed with them. The other ten tribes separated became Israel. Israel got destroyed. The remnants of Israel became the Samaritans. Even the, you know, Judea itself got destroyed and got captured, you know, four, you know, three times. And after year seventy, all the remnants of, you know, Benjamin and Judah were destroyed and were, you know, scattered throughout, you know, the Gentiles throughout the world. So now, after 2,000 years, it's very hard for people to say, I can trace myself to this tribe in Israel, especially if it's, you know, one of the ten tribes. But anyway, so then the reason it's not there because there's no judgment. Let's look at it this way. There's no judgment in heaven. Only those, you know, those who are judged, you know, uh, in the past, they're going to go to heaven, so there's no more judgment in heaven. Uh, Ephraim is not mentioned because Ephraim opposed God. Uh, the split that happened after Solomon uh, happened because of Ephraim. And Ephraim, you know, Israel usually, Israel and uh, Ephraim are, you know, synonymous to each other. Uh, Joseph is mentioned, though Joseph was not in the initial 12 tribes and he was replaced by his two children. And here Levi is mentioned. But he was not one of the original 12 tribes. So, if you look at the list that's mentioned, they're going to go to heaven. It's really not the actual list that appears in the Old Testament. It's, it's different. And it's different for a purpose. Let's go and see the meaning of each of these and how do they affect. And I showed the order in Revelation, the order of birth, who is the mother, just in case you want to know. Were they? Because as you know, Jacob was married to two, Leah and Rachel. And when Rachel was not being, you know, having children, she gave him his maid. Her name is uh, Bilha. And then when uh, Leah was not, you know, having children, she gave him his maid, Zilpa. And then Leah had more children, and then Rachel had more children. So he ended up with, you know, 12 kids. Anyway. The first one is Judah. He's the first in Revelation. In natural order, he's the fourth. He became the, the firstborn because he defended Joseph and his actions were more appropriate with the firstborn. And if you go back to the Old Testament, there's a lot of events where really someone else who was not the firstborn became the firstborn. Like Esau. And Jacob, Jacob was not the firstborn, but he inherited and he became the one who has the inheritance of the firstborn. Judah was not the firstborn, neither was Joseph. Joseph inherited twice. Judah became the firstborn because out of his descendants came Christ. Right? You can look at David. He was not the firstborn, but he's the one who became the king and he's the one who became, from his descendants came Christ. And a lot of other examples, if you go through the Bible, you'll find that. So, he was the fourth born to Leah. 
his the meaning of his name is you know praise God. So the church lives a life of thanksgiving, and only those who will go to heaven are those who are thanking God. Right? So when we go to heaven, those who really thank God will be the ones to go to heaven. Uh, Reuben, uh, natural order is the first. He's supposed to be the, the eldest. And the meaning of that, seeing the sun, all those who praise God have seen his son. Or you only praise God if you see his son. And Gad means troop. Uh, those entering heaven will be many. It's not going to be only one or two. They're going to be many. So those who praise God and see His Son will go together into heaven. That's the first verse. Second one, Asher. Uh, he's the eighth, and he's mentioned as the fourth. Means blessed. God's people are blessed. Uh, Naphtali. He's the Sixth in uh, natural order means wrestling. So there are a couple of meanings for wrestling. Uh, God's people are blessed, but they also wrestle with God to receive grace, like Jacob himself wrestled with God to receive grace. Or they're wrestling also with the devil to overcome sin and overcome temptation. So getting into heaven requires us to be wrestlers and requires us to be fighters. It's not an easy ride. Okay. Uh, so we have to be blessed, we have to be wrestling. And Manasseh means forget. And if we love God and we wrestle with God for blessings and we wrestle against the devil, we will forget our desires here on earth. We forget our inheritance on earth, but we will only think about our inheritance in heaven. Okay. Simeon means listener. Uh, he who forgets himself hears and understands the heavenly voice of God. Levi who was not of the twelve tribes, was not counted of them, and natural order is the third. He's mentioned here as the eighth. means joined. Uh, we are joined uh, not to just one another, but also joined to God. Okay. So when we listen, we're joined to God, and we're rewarded, and that's what uh, Issachar means. Uh, the stranger from this earth does not ask for his earthly reward, but for the heavenly reward. Zebulun uh, dwelling this is where Christ actually lived in Nazareth which was uh, the land of Zebulun so our dwelling is in heaven and uh, when we dwell in heaven we free our heart from all earthly desires Joseph means increase he who frees his heart uh, living in heaven grows in every good deed and Benjamin is son of the right which is the reward, the final reward we get is we sit on the right hand of the Father. So again, the, the fathers look at these, this order, not as the you know, natural order of birth, as we saw, it's not exactly how the children of Israel were born or how they're mentioned, but as the, the virtues that you and I must have to get to heaven and to sit on the right hand of the Father the glory that we will get at the end. Right? So let's go back and look at the rest of the of the verses. Okay. Verse 9. So any questions about the 444,000? 
So can we answer Jehovah's Witness or uh, you know whoever asks us about you know on the hundred forty four thousand? No, not dot <laughs> Open the Bible. Alright. Uh, can somebody read the next I think we can finish the next few verses. Can, uh, can read? After these things I looked and lo a great multitude, which no man can number out of all the nations, and kindreds, and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell before the throne on their faces and, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these who are arrayed in white wool robes, and from where do they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and have whitened them in the blood of the lambs. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he sitting on the throne will dwell among them. They will not hunger any more, nor, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun light, nor will the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will feed them and will lead them to the, to the fountains of living waters, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Right. So, great multitude, no one could number. We all have a habit of saying that, you know, when somebody tells you a saint, you say, oh no, I'm not going to go to heaven. We all have, it, have a habit of that one. And this verse tells us that the number of people who are going to go to heaven is great. So many, that no one, no one can number. I mean, if there are a million if you know 10 million or billion or whatever we can we can have a census for such a large number right besides this is what god is telling him so the way it's written the reason it's written that way that no one can number that we you and i to have hope that we have a place there we don't say that we're saved we already have a guaranteed place there no what we say is as you know the lord told you know, uh, one of the angels that your name is written in the book of life, I will not wipe it out. So we have our names written in heaven, ready for us to go and complete our fight. If we continue the struggle, if we continue our path in righteousness, it's written there. If we don't, if we try to take a break, if we change directions, our name is going to be erased and it's not going to be there anymore so there's a lot of ways God is trying to comfort us in these verses whether it's direct or indirect so this is one of them out of all nations kindreds and people and tongues again so this is not only limited to the Jewish people or a specific number you know race this is open to everybody Christianity and God's salvation what he paid on the cross is for all of us not just one or two or, you know, God's favorite people and whatever. That also brings the fact of, you know, 
that the Jews still considered themselves as God's chosen people. And unfortunately, some of the Americans here and some of the American churches support that opinion and support the fact that the Jews are God's chosen people. And we, as a country, have to protect them uh, against those evil Arabs and, you know, and we have to establish Israel as God's nation and so on. Again, when Israel, when the, when the Jews said we have no king but Caesar, they rejected God. God used to be their king. When they crucified Christ, they chose Caesar as their king and they rejected God. In the year 70, their kingdom was destroyed and they were spread throughout the whole world. That was not an accident. Since the time God established them as a nation, they were never destroyed and spread throughout the world like this. Even when they were captured by Babylon and so on, they still have a remnants. They still have existence in Jerusalem and that area. But after the year 70, that's it. They rejected Christ. They stopped being God's favorite, you know, God's chosen people. And that's it. So now who is the new Israel? Who are you know, God's chosen people. Who are those 12 tribes? That's the church. That's you and I. So when we find people go on the pulpit in the United States and say, we have to support Israel, we have to, you know, let Israel exist with nuclear arms and all these things, we say these people do not read the Bible, do not understand the Bible. Israel of the New Testament is a church. And that's from every nation, every kind, every people, every tongue, everywhere. And they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. What's salvation to our God. Who, who gave us salvation? Yeah, I mean, you know, we can look at this. Uh, okay. Oops, sorry. Let's compare. So, so the people that are shouting this out referring to their own salvation? The salvation to belongs, salvation unto our Lord. Salvation is from God. If you, wanna, if you know how to read great, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> salvation belongs to our God. This is uh, the National Standard Version. Salvation to our God. Salvation, you know, here, salvation to our God. Or, you know... Uh, or from our God here, the translation or from of or from. That's in the songs. So they're referring religion. to their own salvation. Their own salvation. Okay, that's because again, there's no name under heaven or earth by which we save except the name of Jesus Christ. That's Acts. Uh, And, uh, hold on, let me s find that to you quickly. My computer is a little bit slow. 
No. I'm just bringing up a document. Uh, again, and there's no salvation, there's salvation in no other one, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which must be saved. Acts 4.12. This verse is key to our salvation because if anyone comes and tells you, why not live a good life? You know, what's wrong with living, you know, just a normal good life, being good to other people. Yeah, there's a God, great, there's a God and, you know, everything, but, you know, I'm none of my business. I'm a good person, I don't hurt anybody, I don't steal, I don't, you know, kill, I don't do anything. I don't care about believing in anybody else. The answer is, no way we'll go to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And that's what these saints were saying in heaven in verse 10, by saying that, you know, salvation belongs to our Lord, our God, who's sitting on the throne. The, the English, yeah. No, God does not. But He's the one who provides salvation. Yeah. So that's why we're so adamant about that Christ is God and He is the one who gave us salvation. So any other heresy that says, believe in God, believe in everything you want, but don't believe in Christ as a Savior, that's a deadly heresy. And that's what we talked about the pale horseman. That some of the heresies that are around us today will will believe in God, will do everything you want, uh, will let them even marry as many as you want, on the condition that you don't believe that Christ is the Son of God and He is not the Savior. Okay? So when we read these verses, we find that when we go to heaven, the main thing we're going to be doing is thanking God and glorifying God for the salvation that He gives us and just enjoying being with God. There's no mention of here of lands of milk and honey or tribulation or millennium reign or any of these things. And these people who call of the for the millennium reign and try to advocate for the millennium reign and, and all these things, they do not understand the enjoyment with, you know, with God. They do not enjoy how, understand how to enjoy God. And that's the main problem. They think that the enjoyment comes from food and, you know, drinks and living here on earth. That's not what this these verses are telling us. These verses, especially the last couple of verses in this chapter, they will not hungry anymore, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will feed them and will lead them to the fountains of the living waters. What are the fountains of living, living waters? That's the Holy Spirit. What's the bread of life? That's Christ Himself, right? And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is enjoyment in heaven. This is this is why we're, we're tolerating through the tribulations here. Why? That's why we're accepting the suffering. That's why actually some of the saints, they go and seek the suffering and tribulation. Somebody like St. Paul, he could have lived happily in Jerusalem as a rich person or, you know, goes back to Tarsus, worship God in his own hidden place and becomes, you know, a good righteous man. And no problem. No, he went and he was seeking, in a way, he was seeking trouble. He was going to every, you know, city and preaching. And the first place he goes to, the Jews, and they would reject him and beat him up and 
spit on him and do all these kind of stuff. And they were happy to be insulted for the sake of Christ. So they were seeking tribulations. Why? They had this in front of their eyes. And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Yes. When St. Peter confessed Christ as being the Son of God, what did Christ tell him? You are the rock. Not just you are the rock. God revealed to you. And whoever tries to know God, God will reveal to him. No one comes to me except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has to work in us before we believe, so we would believe. And God works in everyone. And through every mean to to make us to make people believe. Right? We are in a way privileged and unprivileged is that we are born in the in the faith and grew up in the faith. We did not go through the you know the struggle of trying to know who God is and came to the right decision. And if you ask those people who were even away from the church, maybe they were baptized and you know but did not grow up in the church, the struggle they go through, God will reveal to them. It's a story I heard. I don't know how truthful it is. There was a guy who was born to a Christian mother and a Hindu father. And everyone was trying to bring him to their religion. But then the mother died or whatever. And this young man, he was like a teenager. He decided, he went to his room, he locked up, and he said, Look, I'm not leaving this room. I know there's a God. I don't know who this God is, whether it's Buddha or it's you know, Christ or it's you know, God of Muhammad or whoever. I'm not leaving this room until you declare yourself to me three or four days and God really revealed himself to him. If I really want to see God, he wants everybody to believe in him. The will of God is what? For everyone to believe in him? Everybody to be saved and to the knowledge of truth, you know, they, they accept, they come for if they're really truthful, seeking God, God will reveal to them. Here the stories coming from Egypt and from, you know, the Middle East. God himself and St. Mary appear to people on a regular basis. You find a lot of stories, God appeared to me and he, you know, I was praying, I was praying, I was praying and, you know, went to bed and God appeared to me and he told me, you know, I'm Christ. So, you know, a lot of these stories come this way. Anybody who's seeking Christ will find. Let's forget about non-believers. I'm I'm a Christian. I'm you know, born and raised in the church, but my faith is weak. Zema and Baburis was talking to us today. Do I feel God is my father? How do I do that? I mean, I have to to go and ask him, and he's going to reveal himself. If I really want to, he will reveal himself to me. But he's not going to give me. The jewels 
and because there's also you know something said do not give your jewels to the pigs or else what they're going to do they're going to trample on it and then attack you so if I'm not going to value what he's going to give me why would he give me himself so I reject him and turn around Exactly. Okay, and no, was without a prejudgment. But some people will see God and they have a certain image where God has to fit in. These people will, you know, will reach what they want, which is not God. Will reach the image they have created for God, which is not they want what they want. No, no, do not throw your, you know, uh, your jewels in front of the pigs or the trample them on. There are certain people that, for uh, for example, you you don't expect to go to a bar for drunk people and start talking about God and they accept and they, you know, they change. They're going to make fun of you and they're going to, you know, probably hit you and, you know, kick you out. So those people, you know, there are certain people who don't want to accept God. And God is not going to force himself on them. So when you when you are dealing with these people, be wise on what you offer and what you don't offer. Yes. Yes, but also in wisdom. You're going to read the book of Acts and you're going to find that and sometimes when the apostles were going through cities, they said, then the Holy Spirit prevent us from speaking in the city. It requires prayers and wisdom when you talk to others. Right? And even when he sent the seventy apostles to him, he said, you know, first say hello, you know, say peace will be with you, and see what you get. That's the twelve. You get a hundred seventy. Are you going to get a response back or no? Yeah. All right, so we can finish. And all, and this is now, if you go back with your memory to chapter 4, what we do find, we find that the four creatures saying, holy, 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 the 24 priests respond back with holy, 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 and they bow down. And then all the angels outside the circle, you know, repeat the you know praises and worship God. As you know, when we looked at the the throne of God, it was like you know circles in you know from inside and outside. The cherubims were carrying the throne of God, and then the 24 priests, and then the angels, archangels, and then the believers. Right now, we find that the praise is coming in. From outside, in. The believers are saying, you know, um, 
salvation to our God sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. And then the angels stood around the, who stood around the throne and the elders, the 24 priests, and the four living creatures, they fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. The believers. Hopefully us all going to be in heaven and we're going to be seeing all this together. So it's not like now? It's not the struggling church? Or is it? That's a very good question. Is it the struggling church or is it the victorious church or is it both? This scene is in heaven. Right? If, we're in, if we open, you know, the channel to heaven, and we praise with them, what are we going to feel? What are we going to hear? We hear the same echoes. Okay. The fathers say that during liturgy, one row of people, one row of angels and saints, one row of people, one row of angels and saints, intermixed together, standing together. Okay? So they, are, they join us in praise. The same way they're joining the victorious church in praise, they're joining us in praise. That's why we have like five or six people, you know, on Saturday night by themselves giving praise. They're not treated by themselves. You know, angels and other, you know, saints praise with them. There's another story. Two priests got ordained and they, you know, at the same time and they were together in the monastery at the same time. And then when they finished, they went, everyone went back to their church, you know, and they started serving the first mass. One of them was in a very big church and he, you know, very nice area and he went and, you know, his first mass was, liturgy was filled with people and everybody congratulated him and, and all this kind of stuff. The other one was from a very poor area, people did not know God, and he went to, to liturgy and he was only there by himself, Ma'al Ma'alim Musham Mass. He said, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray anyway. And he prayed. And when he was praying, he was hearing, you know, Ma'alim, Ma'anas Katifa. He thought that there's a lot of people outside, you know, that came, you know, during the liturgy. And then when he was done and he, you know, he's saying, where were all these people? Where did they go? He said, there was nobody here. He said, but I was, you know, I was hearing a lot of loud voices singing with you. He said, I was the only one by myself here in church. But it turned out to be there were other angels praying with, the, with him. Right? Instead of him praying by himself, there were other angels praying with him. Okay? And that's, that's a blessing of our liturgy. So again, the glorification of God is from the inside out and from the outside in. Saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Again, we see that the heavenly, when they pray to God, they praise Him on who He is. They're not getting anything from God, but they praise Him on who He is. Let's learn that when we pray, in addition to praying, you know, you know, the, peop- the poor and the sick in the hospital and, and all these things. We also pray to God on who He is. And let's teach the kids, you know, in Sunday school to pray God for who He is. Thank God for His powerful. Thank God for His might. Because when I pray to God and thank Him for His power and His might, and I have a problem in my life, 
and remember who my God is and how powerful He is and how mighty He is, guess what? That problem is going to get small. I'm going to pray to my God because, you know, I know that He is the healer, He is, you know, the comforter, He is, He is, He is. And I pray, I, when I start my prayer, I pray Him, I thank Him for that. And I have a problem that needs healing, needs comforting, needs, needs and needs. I'm going to feel that His presence in these problems. Okay. Even if it's not solved in front of my eyes. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these who are arrayed in white robes and from where do they come from? So, isn't it amazing that one of the 24 priests comes and asks St. John? It shows the relationship between the heavenly and the earthly. Right? And the care of the heavenly to the earthly. And again, the Bible uses the questioning as a way of education, as a way of explaining, as a way of making things clear. And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the sons, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and have whitened them in the blood of the Lamb. So, even St. John admits he doesn't know and he's seeking knowledge and understanding from, from God. So, these are the ones who came out of the Great Tribulation. That can be the last days, that can be life on earth. Life on earth is tribulation anyway, whether it's one day or you know a hundred years, but we go through you know tribulation. And again, Similar to the verse 10 that we question, you know, we had a question about, about the salvation to Christ here. These have washed their robes and have whitened them in the blood of the Lamb. Doesn't refer to the martyrs. Alright? Here, he does not talk about, which blood is he talking about? Blood of Christ. So what made you think about the martyrs? I, I thought of Great tribulation, you know. Again, we talked about that last week, and we talked about because under the altar, if we go back to no, that's okay. Verse chapter six, the fifth seal. Okay, the fifth seal. Uh, chapter 6 verse 9 and when he had opened the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the testimony of uh, which they held and we discussed this and we said that you know, it's unbe- you know, unbelievable that somebody for example like St. Mary or somebody like you know Pope Kirolos or somebody like you know St. Athanasius or all these or St. Anthony or St. Paul and you know thousands and thousands of saints who, did not, who were not martyred I'm not considered to be with those, you know, saints under the altar. So where did I go? And again, from the writing of the fathers, being a martyr doesn't have to be only by shedding blood. I can offer myself as a sacrifice by fasting, by prayer, by, you know, giving up uh, lusts and, you know, worldly pleasures. And I'm offering, if I offer myself, my, my body as a sacrifice, what's the difference between that and the person who offers himself as a 
literally as sacrifice and get killed. Right? So martyrdom has different types and different levels. Of course, the highest is you give you you know you shed your blood for Christ. So again, the great tribulations, not everybody will die from the sword. People may be dying from natural disasters that are going to come place, you know, going to take place. People can be dying at old age, but again, this does not stop them from offering themselves as sacrifices. So the issue is, am I ready planning, quote-unquote, my martyrdom life and offering myself, my body as a sacrifice? Or I'm letting my body enjoy lust and, you know, just building up in the gym and, you know, the, the diets and so on and, you know, healthy diets and all that. But am I also offering myself as a sacrifice in different ways? We have Lent starting tomorrow. So here's an opportunity for us to... Uh, okay. You gain weight for Siam. These are the excuses. No, no, I'm saying it's the opposite. It's not really a diet. Anyway, so, but again, wash their robes, their white robes, but they're washed in blood. Again, that also shows that this is not an actual, um, all these are uh, representations and figure of speech and, you know, uh, images to make things clear for us, uh, and they're not exactly in that way, because if you put any clothes in white, no matter what color, in, 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 in blood, no matter what color it is, it's going to come up to be red or dark. It just means they've been made pure through the blood of Christ. They were purified by the blood of Christ, and we receive that purification through, how does how that happen? Baptism, Nairun, to receive the Holy Spirit, and then daily by repentance and confession and communion. Right? So when we talk about churches that doesn't, doesn't have sacraments, when people are living their Christian life without sacraments, how can they whiten their robes in the blood of Christ if there's no sacraments? If somebody lives away from communion and away from the life of repentance and confession, how can they whiten their robes? Because our robes are going to get dirty. Our life is going to become dirty. We're going to, we're going to all commit sin. Right? Every day we live, we're going to commit. We're going to be committing sin, of course, at different levels. How are we going to cleanse this? You know, our robes. How are we going to become back pure and white again? We have to do that, and the, the ways to do that is repentance, confession, and communion. Okay. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to do that. You can do that from today 
by serving God in different ways. You don't have to be you know, a priest, you don't have to be a deacon. Serve God in His temple. You can serve God through any of the people around you in the, in the community, not necessarily Christians. And He sitting on the throne will dwell among them and will not hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Again, I go back and stress on these things and stress on the concept of reward that the Christ is promising us. None of these rewards are physical. So when people come and talk about millennium rain and talking about living on earth and eating you know, good food and mountains pouring milk and honey, it doesn't fit. It's not the spirit of the Bible. This is not what God is telling us to do. If, if He's going to let us enjoy here on earth for a thousand years, why is He going to starve us in heaven? He may as well provide us with food in heaven. Right? So this is not what, the, what these people are saying is not really the spirit of the of the gospel. This is not what God is trying to you know to let us enjoy. And we can start enjoying heaven by enjoying God here from earth. If I wait until I go to heaven to enjoy God, I will not get there. We have to start enjoying God from now. We have to figure out a way to do that to start getting a taste from this here on earth. That's the challenge. That's what Abuna and Babulis was talking about this morning, is that how are we going to feel God is our Father? That's the key thing. If I do that, if I have this relationship, if I have this enjoyment of relationship, then these th- you know, rewards become you know, attainable. I become, you know, Acquainted with them, I know what it means to be in God's presence when you know when He dwells among His people. He was dwelling with the three young men in the furnace of fire. Right? So they did not wait until to go to heaven for God to dwell among them. He was dwelling among them even in the, you know in the midst of tribulations. So He can be with us here. We can be living this here on earth. Right? Again, so anybody who's going through tribulations, please open chapter 7 and read these last few verses. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will feed them. He will lead them to the fountains of the living waters. And God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. So we can spend hours talking about this verse. In reality, we should spend our life meditating on this verse until we get to heaven. Alright, so preview of next time. Next time we're going to start talking about uh, the seventh seal and, you know, the trumpets and the first four trumpets and the disasters they're going to bring on earth and why and so on. Okay, any any questions, any comments on chapter 7? So, we're going fast these days. We're covering a chapter a week. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.